You know, the best thing about a new series is that this is Third Street, and we love a good beat drop moment. <laughs> and the best thing about a new series is when we get that new video, and you're like, what in the world? And then the beat drops, and you're like, oh! It's the best. It's the best. That when people get saved, but it's close. It's close between those two moments. <laughs> well, if you didn't notice, we're starting a brand new series this morning. Creatively, cleverly titled Haggai. Church, can you do me a favor? Can you help me out a little bit this morning? Some of y'all looking a little sleepy, and I am too, because... You know, that Buckeyes game took, took it out of me. Can you help me and can you repeat back to me, Haggai? Haggai. What series are we in? Haggai. So what book would you think we're going to go to? Haggai. And who do you think we're going to talk about? Haggai. Nah, we're talking about you. Come on. <laughs> Come on. The series is called Haggai. The book is called Haggai. It's dangerous, uh, to, uh, to, to flip for it because it's so small that you'll probably miss it, right? So I encourage you, if you have your physical Bibles, to, to go to the contents, the table of contents, right? And, and, and look at what page number Haggai is because it's so small that you might just miss it. So go ahead and look for that if you've got your physical Bibles with you. If you have your electronic devices and you're confident in your spiritual ability to fight off the temptation of the devil to stay off of Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and or Twitter, well then hit that little drop down menu and towards the end of the Old Testament, you'll find Haggai. And for everybody else, it'll be up on the screen for you. I don't want to waste too much time because we do have a lot of ground to cover. When you look at Haggai, you see it's a really long book. Huge, one page, right? One page in most people's Bibles. And we got a lot of ground to cover this morning, and so I'm going to jump right into it. This is Haggai chapter 1. And of course, in times like these, we love to start with verse 1. Scripture says this, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Verse 2 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. That's it. That's all the further we're going. Because I got a lot to say about this. I don't know if you've had these types of things happened to you before, um, but there is this, this poem, this idea, this principle that keeps coming up in my life lately. Um, it started in a book that I was forcing myself to read, and it was a whole chapter of this book that went into it. Then it came up a little more recently in conversation that I was having with some friends, and then most recently... It came up in a podcast that I've been listening to. And I don't know if you're like me, but I notice patterns in people and otherwise. And so I noticed that this thing keeps coming up. It's this thing, it's this idea, it's this poem called The Dark Night of the Soul. You ever heard of it? 
The Dark Night of the Soul was written by St. John of the Cross, who would be found under the category of Catholic mysticism. And he writes this poem. He just calls it the dark night. We more modernly talk about it as the dark night of the soul. But it, but it, 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 it communicates this idea that there is an experience that all of us in our spiritual journeys will go through. Some of us may go through it more than once. But it's an experience in which the joys and the comforts that come with spirituality, the joys and the comforts that come with our faith, suddenly seem to be taken away. Well. Suddenly, suddenly the, the comfort that we once felt from our faith in God now seems distant, and what we are experiencing is despair. It's darkness. But the key to the dark night of the soul is stepping outside of yourself and recognizing that these seasons come. Sometimes I would say God even allows these seasons, not as a way of punishing us, not as a way of abandoning us, not even as a way of reminding us how much we need him, but as a way of purifying our soul. Because I promise you, as I've walked through this, even very recently, when you press through the darkness, when you press through the dark night of the soul, when you continue to not lose sight of God or doubt God, but to continue to seek in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the doubt, in the midst of the despair, when you push forward to continue to seek God, even in those things, the point that you come to is wisdom. It's maturity. You'll look back on the season someday and see all that you did not know. All that you did not have proper perspective on. The dark night of the soul, however deep, dark, and full of despair it seems, is about discovering something deeper and richer on the other side that is less dependent on the comforts we were dependent upon before. When I look at the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, when I look at the things that that these people went through, a lot of it is stuff they put themselves through, but I don't have time today. But when I look at that, I can't help but think that as we crack open the book of Haggai and we start to read about where these people are at, I can't help but think that they're either currently in the midst of or possibly just coming out of the other side of the collective dark night of the soul of their nation. See, what had happened was, in case you're not too familiar, the nation of Israel was God's chosen nation. What do you mean by that? He shows favoritism? Not really. What I mean by that is that Israel was the nation that by which God was going to show the world what he was capable of. Israel was the nation by which God was going to let his power be known, let his wisdom be known, let his sovereignty be known, let his love be known. Israel was going to be the light that showed the rest of the world. And because of that, 
Israel went through a whole lot of things, including a long period of slavery, of which God delivered them. And then they went through this period of wandering through the wilderness. I don't know if you ever felt like this, where you're just kind of aimlessly wandering. You're not positive. You're not negative. You're just kind of like, man, trying to figure it out. God got them to where he was trying to get them to go. And then I don't know if you've ever looked at where you know God was trying to take you and realize there's a barrier there. There's a wall there. There's some obstacles in the way. There's some things that is preventing me from taking that land. But what God was so faithful to do was move that stuff to the side and allow them access to the land that he promised them a real really long time ago. God did all of these things to show not only Israel, but the world how faithful he is. And yet, Israel couldn't stay committed. I know that's unrelatable to us, right? That God would do such beautiful things in our lives. And then all of a sudden, we just be like, that was dope. Anyway, back to what I wanted to do. I know that that's unrelatable, and I know nobody in here has been through that, but that's what they've been through. They continue to look at their surroundings and say, wouldn't it be nice if I also had this, right? Other nations got, got their own king. God, we need a king. Other nations build little, uh, little statues and little figurines, and I'm being inten- intentionally like, you know, look, like condemning to that because it's silly, right? Other, other cultures have little figurines and, 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 and action figures for their gods, so we should make action figures. We should start relying on these, the, the, these pieces of materials that were made and crafted together by some person, right? Like, we should start praying to these things. We should start depending on things that ultimately could fade away and there's nothing like the faithfulness that God has shown us for generations, but we should start depending on those things. And I know, I know that's unrelatable to us, but it happened. And because Israel as a country, as a nation, as a people, again, once again, completely unrelated to us, lost sight of God's will. Their fate ultimately was to be taken back into exile, back into a situation where they didn't have no say. Their culture was taken from them. A lot of them, specifically and literally, their names were taken from them. As the nation of Babylon came and not only toppled the people and the country, but then just to add, mm, just because they could, dropped the temple. And that's important because the temple to the Israelites was the dwelling place of God. Babylon said, you ain't paying attention to it anyway. So like like a pile of Legos came through and knocked it all down. They'd lost it all. They were once on top. They were once in the palm of the hand of the will of God as an example of how God loves, of how God wins. And now they were once again found themselves in captivity, not hearing as much from God, except for through some angry prophets. 
So when the word of the Lord did come while they were in exile, it wasn't usually pleasant. And I can imagine where their faith went. I can imagine that they were collectively experiencing the dark night of the soul. Where these benefits and these joys of their once upon a time spirituality now feel like a distant memory. That everything that their faith in God and Yahweh had allowed them to build was now nowhere to be evidenced. And what does it look like from here? Well, unlike what we love to do on tattoos and door frames, they didn't so tightly cling to Jeremiah 29, 11. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to let it go. They looked at a much more uncertain future. It's the dark night of the soul. Well, eventually the nation of Babylon gives way to the nation of Persia. New management comes into the land. Dude's name is Cyrus. Cyrus says, I want to give space for all cultures to observe whatever God they prefer. And Israel, I heard about y'all and I heard about your God. And though that is distant, I want to give you room and I want to give you space to return to Jerusalem to rebuild your temple if you so wish. And so Cyrus allowed for a select group of Israelites led by Zerubbabel and Joshua to take Israelites back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And that is where we pick up the reading in Haggai. Now, as I'm reading this, as I'm looking through the book, I can't help but have a couple things stand out to me. And that is that, first of all, the uh, governor, if you will, the political leader, if you will, that was leading the Israelites back to Jerusalem from exile, his name was Zerubbabel. Now, my mom just whispered something to my nephew, and my nephew started laughing. And so I'm guessing that what she just told him is exactly what I'm about to say, which is that once upon a time, my father... When my mother was pregnant, wanted to name me Zerubbabel. Can I just take a poll real quick? Would y'all still be friends with me? My name was Zerubbabel. I got some bleacher creatures that are with me. I appreciate y'all. I appreciate y'all. He wanted to name me Zerubbabel. It was a toss-up, though, between Zerubbabel and Rufus. I ain't going to talk about nobody's uncle from West Virginia, so I'm going to let Rufus go. But Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel's tough, right? So naturally, I read about Zerubbabel. I'm like, that's where this dude got this? Are you kidding me? I look at Zerubbabel, and here's what I learned about good old Zeb. Here's what I learned about him. I learned that his name was not an Israelite name. I learned that his name came from Babylonian culture because he was born while in exile. He never experienced what Israel was like before Babylon. And his name means seed of Babylon. 
Now go with me. That means he was born an Israelite in Babylon. And if you're a nerd like me, you know why that's awesome. Because even in captivity, come on with me, even in captivity, even when the light couldn't be seen at the end of the tunnel, even when all hope seemed to be lost, even when faith seemed like an ancestor that you'd only heard about, even when your future is so unknown, even when you're still in chains, even while your oppressor still owns you, the lineage of David continued. He was in the line of David, born not in Israel. He was going to be the bloodline that gave birth to the Messiah. His name is Jesus. So even in captivity, even in the midst of Israel's faithlessness, even in the midst of their wandering, even in the midst of the dark night of the soul, God never lost track of his people. I don't know who with me here today needs to hear this, but I need you to hear it so bad, I'm going to put it up on this screen. If you don't hear anything else that I say the rest of the time, please hear what I'm about to say. And that is that God has not lost track of you. Maybe you identify with the dark night of the soul. Maybe the reason that you gave me that look when I was given that description is because you think that somehow I read your text messages. Maybe that's where you're at right now. And if you don't hear anything else, if you're in the middle of the darkness, if you're in the middle of wandering, if you feel just so lost, if faith feels like a distant relative that you don't even know anymore, listen to me when I tell you God has not lost track of you. At no point in your history did he not know exactly where you were at. At no point in your wandering, in your darkness, did he not know exactly how he was going to bring you through it. At no point in your doubt has he ever lost sight of where you are headed. Never. God has not and will not lose track of you. Believe me, if you doubt even a little bit, read the genealogy in the Gospels. If you mean to tell me that amidst millions and eventually billions of people, God never lost track of this singular bloodline, I promise you, he never lost track of you, ever. He knows where you're at. And that is why context is important. That is why we don't do the casual reading thing around here. That's why we don't get the surface level stuff from the text. Because you need to know that. You need to have that perspective coming into verse 1. Because if you don't have that perspective coming into verse 1, you don't realize how awesome verse 1 is. Hallelujah. Glory. Verse 1. It says, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month. I got to stop there. <laughs> on the first day of the month. The Israelites 
having been allowed back to Jerusalem, having gotten to see a glimpse of the day that had been prophesied about, the day that they would be set free, kind of. They, they got to Jerusalem and realized the number of destruction Babylon did and that nothing had been rebuilt. They remembered a land that was beautiful. They remembered a big, beautiful temple. They remembered grass. They remembered crops. They remember being able to sustain themselves off of the land. But when they get back to Jerusalem, what they see is a desert. What they see is nothing that they remembered still being there. And even the temple, as big and immaculate as it once was, is now crumpled to the ground. So to say that the Israelites had become discouraged would be an understatement. To say that they were once excited to get back to it, we're going to rebuild the temple. We're going to be in there. We're going to be in there every day because it's been a long time since I've been in there. Again, unrelatable, right? We're going to get in there. We're going to be in there. God's presence is going to come back. We're going to worship. It's going to be strong. We're going to be it. Then they get there expecting it to be done for them and realize that it ain't, that they got to do the building. And all of a sudden, we get a little reluctant. You mean you ain't just been waiting for me, God? You mean you ain't just have this stuff constructed, ready to go? You mean when I come back to your dwelling place, I got to put in work? No, that ain't it. So to say discouragement was rampant is, again, an understatement. But what day was it? It was the first day of the month. Why is that important? I'm about to tell you. You're lucky I'm so nerdy. The first day of the month. In the calendar, the way it was back yes. then, yes. acknowledged the new moon. Talk about it. A new moon meant a new beginning. Yes. A new moon was meant to be observed as a holy day. Yes. So Israel, even though they were so discouraged, even though all the stuff they had hoped to come back to was gone, even though they had only kind of just started to pick up the pieces of where God was supposed to dwell, they did at least, probably reluctantly, pause to acknowledge the holy day. They did stop out of religious practice to acknowledge, as if it were a Sabbath, the new moon, which meant that it would have actually been possible for God to have their attention, wow. at least that day. Because that's relatable, right? Yeah. We get a little discouraged. When we get discouraged, God no longer has our focus. But sometimes we just show up and we just go through the motion. And what I mean to tell you is that sometimes even showing up and going through the motions, even showing up because it's Sunday and it's a religious practice that was passed on to me kind of inconsistently by my parents. Even though this is something that I don't really understand the true meaning of, I'm just kind of showing up. If you make yourself available, 
what verse 1 shows us is that God is faithful to speak to you. God doesn't need you to clean up your mess. God doesn't need you to have it all together. God doesn't need you to sit quietly in the back. God doesn't need you to come with a friend. God doesn't need you to have all the answers. God doesn't need you to read the instruction manual first. God doesn't need you to know exactly where you're going. God doesn't need you to be happy. God doesn't need you to be in good spirits. God doesn't need you, well, period. But when you make yourself available, he is faithful to speak on the first day of the month, on the new moon, meant to represent new beginnings. What we read in verse 1 is that God's voice was faithful to come, and he came to a man named Haggai, an old man who's seen some stuff. But God continued to speak, even in the midst of, or even while trying to journey out of the dark night of the soul. God continues to speak. If you feel lost, you feel abandoned, you're trying to figure it out, and you're just kind of aimlessly showing up to stuff. Hey, we've all been there, and you need to know that God continues to speak to you. Yes. You're not crazy. Hey. That feeling, the reason that your heart started pumping, the reason that your stomach got a little knotted, you're not hungry. It's not because you skipped breakfast. It's not because Starbucks gave you your breakfast. Listen to me. God is speaking to you. God wants to continue to speak to you. And then we get to verse 2. What did God say? God spoke? He talked to Haggai? What did he tell him? Well, should have stopped there. God said, have you heard these people? Haggai, have you heard what these people are saying? Haggai, did I not deliver these people? Haggai, did I not just take them out of exile? Haggai, do you not think that even for a moment I had something to do with Cyrus stirring his heart to allow Israel to go back? Haggai, Haggai, Haggai. Have not you been talking all this time about if someday you ever got out of this situation, all the things you would do for my glory and for my honor? Then tell me why these people over here are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the temple. Well, if you're waiting to get out of these chains and I drop the chains, if you're waiting to get onto a specific piece of land and I got you to a specific piece of land, if you're waiting for it to be legal to gather again and I've allowed it to be legal to gather again, and you still out here like it's not time, what are we waiting on? If I've allowed you the room in your life that once upon a time I will acknowledge you did not have, if I've given you freedom that you haven't felt maybe ever before, if I have given you a vision 
that now all of a sudden is a little more attainable than it was a couple months ago, then tell me why your people's posture is still that the time has not yet come to build the Lord's temple. I can't answer that for them. Their zeal had worn off. They got discouraged that it wasn't done for them. They came up with all these other things that needed to be done before they got to the Lord's temple. It's almost as if that checklist will never end. They became, as the, as the ESV would label them, the ESV would label them reluctant rebuilders. Let me ask you, what makes you a reluctant rebuilder? What makes you a reluctant rebuilder? See, I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet that if you, if you marked out on paper a journey of your spiritual life, of your life in general, if you're sitting here this morning, I'm willing to bet that you can mark moments in time where you recognize God interrupted your life, right? I'm willing to bet that you can identify moments if even now being so far removed, you're doubting the significance of the moment. You can still at the very least identify a moment where God interrupted. And if you allow yourself to be open to it, again, if even only for a moment, I'm willing to bet you can identify ways where God intervened in your life or God moved an immovable object or God suddenly gave you the strength to overcome a barrier or all of a sudden God filled in a gap or all of a sudden he parted a sea or all of a sudden something magically appeared where it wasn't before. I'm willing to bet that you can identify those ways, even if you just for a moment allow yourself to accept that it was God. I'm willing to bet that you can identify ways that God interrupted. And I'm willing to bet, I'm willing to bet that you know exactly what the Lord would have you do. I'm willing to bet that that the situation you're facing right now, you're not having a hard time with because you don't know what God wants you to do. You're having a hard time because you're unsure or unfortunately certain of the ramifications of you doing what God wants you to do. And so let me ask you, what is causing you to be so Reluctant. At Third Street, we often ask the question, we say, what is God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? You ever heard us say that before? What is God saying to you and what's stopping you from doing it? What is God saying to you and what's preventing you from getting to work What is God saying to you? And what has discouraged you so strongly? 
from putting the time in. Church, we all experience the dark night of the soul. Some of us, unfortunately, will experience it more than once. We will experience these seasons where faith is so distant, where hope is so distant, where it feels like God is so distant. But God doesn't lose track of us. I'll tell you one more story and then I'm out your way. Once upon a time, let me say it more biblically, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. And the Word was with God. Um, and then we messed it up. Right? We messed it up. But God didn't lose track of his plan. And God didn't lose track of the lost people. Nor did God lose desire to have a people represent himself to the world so that they might know how God loves, how God builds, how God redeems, how God wins. And so, in an effort, in an effort to bring those people out of the dark night of the soul, in an effort to make there be a light that could be attainable to all people, no matter their heritage or no matter how deep into the darkness they've got, they've gone, God sent his son Jesus. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, when we read the gospel of Mark, the first thing we see Jesus say in chapter one, he says, he doesn't arrive on the scene and say, the time has not yet come. Jesus says the time is coming and indeed it is here now. It is here now that you can repent and believe the good news. Jesus is standing both on the other end of the dark night of this, on the soul, saying, come on. And Jesus is standing right next to you, saying, let's go. Jesus came to you. And if even for a moment, you would allow yourself to be open to the idea that Jesus' presence is with you, He's faithful to reveal himself to you. He's faithful to show you I'm right here. And salvation works that way as well as it does that way. I've always been here. I'm always going to be here. I'm here now. Jesus came to us. God got sick, I imagine, of standing on the other side of exile after exile, like, come on, come on, come on. Any of you got kids? Go get your shoes on. Come on, come on, come on. To where eventually what happens? Go get him. 
Go get her. God got sick of waiting on you, saying, come on, come on. He looked at Jesus and said, boy, go get them. Go get them and bring them back here. God said, look at them lost in the shoe closet with all those options when I'm holding what they need right here. You didn't even look over here. It's been in my hand the whole time. I'm not thinking of a specific incident, but gosh dang it, Kaylee. Your shoes are in my hand. God said, come on. I got what you need right here. It's right here. I'm sick of you looking at all your options. I'm sick of you sitting with your hands underneath your butts. Waiting for somebody to intervene. I already intervened. I sent Jesus to you. He said, I'm sick of my kids out here acting, acting like they're ugly. Acting like they're not good enough. Acting like they're not capable. Acting like they're not smart. Acting. Acting. Like they don't know the way. Acting. Like the darkness that is on their life is too big as if I didn't overcome. What was that thing? Oh, yeah, death. I'm sick of my kids. Acting like they ain't got no purpose. Acting like I didn't design them. Acting like I didn't gift them. Acting, Acting like my presence doesn't still dwell with them and makes accessible to them. Even in the darkness of the world. Love, joy, peace, patience. Saying, come on. God doesn't lose track of us. God will continue to speak to us. And through the person of Jesus, he continues to make himself accessible to us. Before we can even get in to the rest of what Haggai says. I need us to ask ourselves that question. What's holding us back from doing what the Lord is asking? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your passion. We thank you for your vision. thank you for the hope that you provide. Come on. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that when all hope was lost, you made a way. We thank you that when there was no light, you sent the light. God, we thank you that you're sovereign, that you know how all of this is going to play out. God, we thank you that you call to us to join the way, the only way that in the end will not crumble and fall. God, we hear your call. And Lord, now I pray by the strength that your Holy Spirit gives us, as it dwells inside of us, we would respond appropriately. Lord, I pray for the person 
that got brought here this morning. I pray for the person that feels like they just got screamed at. I pray for the person who's experiencing the dark night of the soul and doesn't know that you brought the light. God, let them respond to the light this morning. God, I pray for the person who's looked at as a seasoned saint but has lost their way. God, I pray for the person that that even though they know the answers to say, it's been a long time since they felt it in their heart. God, I pray that they would feel the presence of your spirit, that they would feel your love, that they would feel your strength, that they would feel again like they used to feel your joy. God, I pray pray for the person who hears from you, who knows the direction you've called them in. But currently have no intention of taking steps towards it. God, I pray that the vision that you are calling them to feels attainable, as attainable as the God of the universe making himself flesh and stepping on the very soil that we walk. God, I pray that you would bring to the forefront of our minds what it is that has caused us to become reluctant rebuilders. Lord, I pray for the strength and the courage to come after you Pray these things in Jesus' name. All who believe say, bless up.